Um, today, I'm going to pose a lot of questions. And I do want you guys to try to write them down and really take the time to honestly answer them. Some of them you can quickly answer, whatever, but it's nothing like introspection to go back and have something to really think on and, and go through. Uh, you guys know that I um, am encouraging us to push through the mundane, to not just sit on the surface and be comfy with what we gave God last week, um, to constantly dig deep into ourselves and find God even deeper. I want us to always be comfortable with looking into what we need to purge, looking into what we need to clean up, to never be satisfied, and to always want more. To aim is to run towards God enough that we stay close enough to his mouth that we can hear him speak to us no matter what's going on. And I, I confess that I'm not there yet. There's too many times when I allow myself to get into myself and I run away and I, I miss where I'm supposed to be. Um, and I never want anyone to perceive that this work that we're doing is an idea that we think we've arrived that we've made it and we're just giving, you know, our, our, our wisdom to everybody else, but that this we are journeying together, that, you know, we are as exposed as everyone that's listening to us, that we are as incomplete as everyone that, you know, is hearing any words that we speak and that we are very aware of our frailty and our humanity. Um, because at no time should this be about the people who deliver the message. It should always just be about God. And we should be able to hear the voice of God through anybody. So that when you get so caught up in who's presenting it, that you no longer hear God, then something went wrong. Then we stepped out of what God ordained for people to teach is all about. We should never fool ourselves into thinking we're giving God enough. Because a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if it's just all about you. If in your aim that supposedly we're sacrificing our praise and we're sacrificing our time, but really you're doing that to get from God, your sacrifice is not really all that pure. You just kind of food yourself. Because why are we really doing this? Why do we come to church? Why do we come to meetings? Why are we doing what we're doing? You know, like you have to really ask yourself, why am I doing this? Is it just to escape hell? Is it just to get blessings from God and we've come up with the right scheme, with the right formula for him to give us what we want? So someone told us we're supposed to come to church, so we come. Someone told us not to go do this, so we don't do it. But really, the aim is just really to get, get, get. To have a good life, to reap the man-made benefits that we've often put on God. Because a lot of times, we're mad at God for not giving us what we think we 
were supposed to get, but he never promised it. We made up a lot of promises and threw them on God and said, this is what he meant. Oh, no, that scripture means that. That means he's going to give you this. Just keep coming. Just keep doing this, and he's going to bless you. And God didn't say it. We put our own <laughs> spin on stuff to try to make it be about us. Make sure that what you are expecting from God is really a promise that he made. Not one that you've made up and not one that has bent scriptures for our liking. And I've recently heard like these two messages that have completely changed me forever. Changed the way I look at scriptures, the way I look at God, and has forced me to have to repent for my selfishness. Because I want the salvation to be about me. I want God to dedicate himself to pleasing me and making me happy. It actually pains me to say that I'm bothered by the fact that he wants it to be just about him. That Jesus' ministry was all about giving his father glory. And we're just a byproduct. We want to be the thing. We're not the thing. We're a much loved byproduct. But we are a byproduct of God to show how big he is and how in control he is. This was his plan. And I have in past times researched the word for my understanding, but not fully for me to understand God. I want to see how I fit in the story. I want to see how I can read that story and say, oh, that's about me. That's about me getting blessed. Not about this was God was doing this because this was his plan. Everybody that Jesus touched in his ministry was about his plan. And we've made every healing, every miracle and every blessing be about us and what we're going to get in the end. We don't see it as God did this to get a certain plan going for him to get to the cross for those people to crucify him. He had to stir up the water. He had to piss some folks off so that they could come after him. It wasn't about the people. It was about his plan. And whenever we want to make it be about us and what God should give to us, we've missed God. And that hurts. Because I want this to be about God coming to save me. To make me be better. To make my life be at ease. So I realized that, that even though my deepest desire in starting this, you know, these five years ago, was about me finding God and simply finding him. But dang I got off track somehow in some of the searching and some of that I did want it to be about me. I did look at it from a selfish perspective to say, okay, how do I fit in this game plan? How do I make this be where, okay, I got it. And then we get so into our understanding that we can quote 50 million scriptures that I can show you how it lines up, that I can put all this together 
to prove to you that the point is made. I had to confess again. I was sitting there and I said, why am I putting all these scriptures when one scripture is powerful enough? That's him. That's God spoke. That's me needing to verify. That's me needing to make me feel like I got this. Oh, look how this adds up and this is put together. And then the message becomes about me. And I confess that before I start the message because I truly do believe that when we confess, that's where our healing comes from. I got to put it out there. I got to expose myself so that God can heal me. So he can break down that pride and that arrogance and that selfishness that we all hold on to so tightly and passionately and wave our hand and say, I love you, God. <laughs> so I'm not embarrassed that I'm flawed, but I am sad that I hurt Jesus. So with that said, and I'm going to try not to cry through this whole lesson, okay, because I've been so broke up. Um, I will embark on what God has given me for us. And I think that one of the traps of Satan has been for us not to embrace vulnerability and failings. We are always hiding, always on guard, guarding ourselves from each other and guarding ourselves from God. God has to constantly shock us to show us ourselves because we won't gladly walk to the mirror and see the truth of the reflection. We see, but we see nothing. So today I'm asking you to face the mirror, to face yourself in the mirror and to be honest, to confess it all to confess the pain and the hurt and the anger and the sadness, the fear, the anxiety, the disappointment, whatever you have, confess it all. How long will you lie to yourself that you're okay? Because it's okay not to be okay. When will you tell God how mad you are that your life hasn't turned out the way you thought it should? And how long will you say your fake prayers and quote your non-believing scriptures trying to impress God? How long will you come and sit in a pew or decide not to sit in a pew and act like you are in this 100% when at best we're given 50. What, what has your masquerade profited you? What's your payoff from this fakeness? Acceptance from the Christian community? False virtue when you look in the mirror and you can say I'm not like the others, but at least I got this right. Get out your own way. Look in the mirror, open your eyes, face yourself, and confess so that you can be healed. The Spirit leads us to give it up to God. So whenever we don't give it up completely to God, it means we're not in the Spirit. 
What mask are you wearing over your spirit man? Because we got a mask for the flesh, and then we've put a mask on the spirit. So who are you when you're alone and no one is looking? What thoughts are you thinking? What are your struggles? How long will you just pat yourself on the back and say, well, God understands? And why don't you care that you're hurting God? The one you say you love. Humility is more desired than perfection. Humility says, I need God. Perfection says, I can do this alone. Humility keeps me at the cross. It keeps me chasing God. It keeps me appreciative of the work of God. In what ways are you not humble before God? In what ways do you feel you can do this on your own? In what ways have you lied to yourself and said, oh, I've given it to God. I trust God. But you haven't. In what areas do you refuse to let God in and expose you? Because whenever he enters you, he's going to expose the junk in us. What things has God shown you about you and what he wants from you and you refuse to release it? And you can't be satisfied to say, well, I let go of that and I let go of this, but he's still patting you and saying, excuse me, but you have more. How long will you tell yourself it's a process? But in reality, you're just buying time in hopes that God will change his mind. Baby steps, we love that. I'm getting there. He knows. What is standing in your way as to why you can't see God in your situation? I told you I had a lot of questions. This is just what's coming. How many times will you lose sight of God? And when do you decide that this is not a viable option anymore? So what do you have to give up? To not lose sight. Is it your control? Your pain? Your anger? Your righteous indignation? Your hurt? Your grief? Your need to be validated? Your dreams of what you wanted your life to look like? What do you need to lose so that you can find God? And we have to always remember that it is our choice to lose sight of God. Because these things cloud our view, but we let them cloud our view. We lose sight when we focus too much on others. Because we can give a long list how others have done us wrong. And righteous indignation can hold us for a long time. 
You know, because some crap has happened in our lives. And you have the right to be upset. You have a right not to be okay with people have done. But are you going to let that thing make you lose God? Because remember, that's what the devil wanted. He wanted to bring this in your life so that you could no longer see God. And God told us in the scriptures that what was intended, he already blocked it. Because the intention of Satan is always to get you from God. At the end of the day, no matter what it is, it's for you to get away from God. Are you going to really team up with Satan? The choice is ours. When God saved us, he gave us his eyes, his ears, his heart. We have the living, breathing God in us. And we've forgotten him. We can talk about what the son has done. We can talk about who the father is. But oftentimes we forget the spirit that is in us. There to teach us all things and to guide us. How do we keep losing track? And why do we keep turning the spirit off? It is us that keeps going toward blindness and deafness and being heartless. So we're going to look at three passages of scriptures to see what God is saying. First one is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. All stuff we've been over probably countless times. But let's see if we find something new in this that we haven't seen so in Corinthians, Paul is addressing the people because they were speaking ill of him and saying pretty much that he's a big shot in his letters. You talk a good game, but then when you come to us, you're kind of sheepish. So like, what's going on? And Paul came back and challenged them with these two verses saying that, you know, this is what we should be concentrating on. You getting over how I speak or don't speak or who I am with these people and, you know, the kind of ministry I have. I don't want to go into debating that. You see his humanity, I believe, in this chapter because you see him then feeling like he has to defend himself. He has to defend his position in God. Paul, why are you defending yourself? Like, them people didn't walk with him the way you did. They weren't at his side the way, but you feel, you see, our insecurities always keep jumping up on us. No matter how close we get to God, those doggone insecurities keep just chapping at our heels. Verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to use some commentary as I go through this to break down each aspect to make sure that we get this right. So it goes on to say, for the weapons of our warfare, that means by which we hope to achieve our victory. 
our victory is going to be achieved through these weapons that he's going to tell us about. And they are not carnal. They are not of the flesh. They are not what the people of the world use. They are not to be used to advance our cause. We do not depend on eloquence or talent or learning or wealth or beauty or any of these external aids on which the people of this world rely. They have no power inherent in themselves. Their strength is derived from God alone. So the weapons that we use, if God is not fueling them, they have no effect. But they're mighty through God. The weapons are rendered mighty or powerful by the agency of God. The weapons depend on him for their efficiency. The sense is that God is the author of the doctrines which we preach and that he attends to them with the agency of his spirit and accompanies them to the hearts of people. It is important for all ministers to feel that their weapons are mighty only through God. Conquerors and earthly warriors go into battle depending on the might of their own arm and on the wisdom and skill which plans the battle. The Christian goes on his warfare, feeling that however well adapted the truths which he holds are to accomplish great purposes, and however wisely his plans are formed, yet that the efficiency of all depends on the agency of God. We don't depend solely on God. We have picked up these weapons and made them man-made. And we wonder why we're not defeating anything. He has no hope of victory but in God. And if God does not attend him, he will inevitably be defeated. But what do we rely on? We rely often on our eloquence of speech. We're waiting for somebody to bring the house down. We want somebody to let those words just fall, fall so smoothly off their lips and entice us and seduce us into the way of God. That's not what this is for. This is supposed to be just about God. If someone is speaking about God, y'all spirits should be connecting because it should be that spirit that is doing it. But we want to care about how folks look. We care about all these other things to say, oh, you must be called of God. Because that little person sitting over there looking homely, oh, they, they must not have the Jesus. I need you to put somebody up here that, that can thrill me. He goes on to say, to the pulling down of strongholds. So if we, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to do what? Pull down strongholds. So strongholds in the Greek is defined as a fortress to fortify through the idea of holding safely a castle, an argument 
Fortified is defined as to protect or strengthen against attack. Surround or provide with defensive military works. To furnish with a means of resisting force or standing strain or wear. To make strong, impart strength or vigor to. To increase the the effectiveness of as by additional ingredients to strengthen mentally or morally. So Satan has convinced us that our strongholds are keeping us safe. He has fortified the strongholds that we have. He has protected them from attack. So we're going after these strongholds within our own strength, and we're wondering, why won't they budge? I'm praying, I'm doing this, I'm fasting, I'm, I done done all kinds of things, I done spit and yelled and spoken, and, and ain't nothing moving. Because they are fortified. They're resisting force. And then he added additional ingredients to the mix. So you started off with one or two and he just added some extras that we didn't picked up along the way, which makes that stronghold even stronger. And we're thinking about a behavioral thing that we're trying to attack. So, oh, just let me stop doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, I'll stop having sex when I shouldn't. I'll stop stealing. I'll stop lying. But that's not the actual stronghold. The stronghold is what's making you do those things. And oftentimes what we hear preached and how we surmise stuff is just stop the behavior. God will be happy if you just stop. God's not happy with you just stopping because the stronghold is still there. The devil knows how to just give you another one to show it off behaviorally. And it may be one that you can say, oh, this is not that bad. Oh, the church folks didn't say I couldn't do this. But it's the exact same stronghold. So God is trying to pull down the strongholds because he wants to be our only source of safety. You are supposed to be only safe in Christ. But we have accumulated so much stuff that has made us believe we're safe. My defenses are just my safety nets. My way of acting out is my safety net. And God is saying that has to come down. We can't fool ourselves into thinking that this isn't war. We forgot. This is really a fight. And we've gotten too comfy on the sidelines. We stop engaging in the warfare. We just sat back and said, oh, I'm tired. I, I can't do this no more. I'm going to just do what everybody else is doing. And I'm going to come and I'm going to wave and I'm going to kneel and I'm going to do what I, the rest of this fighting stuff. This is too much for me. Because our strongholds are not going to come down easily. 
We are fooling ourselves to think that we can employ the warfare that God has provided without him empowering the weapons. We have literally been shooting blanks. We shooting. Ain't nothing in the doggone gun. We like the sound of the ch-ch. Ain't nothing coming out. We like to get dressed for the battle. We do that really well. We like the vocabulary of the battle because we can talk it. We can tell you what we're supposed to do. I can quote it. But we have not allowed the commander to equip us with the right ammunition for the weapons. And we refuse to sit still long enough and get the instructions. The various obstacles resembling a fortress which exist are designed and adapted to oppose the truth and the triumph of Christ's cause. All these obstacles are strongly fortified. The sins of the heart are fortified by extensive tolerations and by the hold which they have on the soul. We keep tolerating our own mess. We keep giving ourselves excuses and reasons and all this stuff to say, I can stay here. The wickedness of the world which he opposes is strongly fortified by the fact that it has seized strong human passions. The idolatry of the world is strongly fortified by prejudice and the opinions of the world are entrenched behind false philosophy and the power of subtle argumentation. The whole world is fortified against Christianity and the nations of the earth have been engaged in little else than in raising and strengthening such strongholds for the space of 6,000 years. The devil knows what he's doing. He's been fighting this a long time. And we think we can come in with a little jacket and a couple of rocks. The Christian religion goes forth against all the combined and concentrated powers of resistance of the whole world. And the warfare is to be waged against every strongly fortified place of error and of sin. These strong fortifications of error and of sin are to be battered down and laid in ruins by our spiritual weapons. So again, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we're going to break that down. So casting down is to lure with violence or destroy. Imaginations are our reasonings, our conscience, our conceit. What we tell ourselves to give us understanding. Cast it down. Destroy it. Then we are to destroy every high thing. And high things represent our dignity, 
or the regions of the air where powers of darkness exalt themselves against Christ in us. Exalt is to rise up against the knowledge of God. So we need to acknowledge and destroy through the power of God our reasoning, our conceit, our dignities that have been married to the powers of darkness and have come up against the knowledge of God. God has knowledge about you that you don't have, but instead of us humbly submitting and willingly surrendering, we have exalted ourselves up against the knowledge of God. So when we get into the whys and the why me and how could and how long, we are going up against the knowledge of God. When we lose faith and worry and not trust, we are going up against the knowledge of God. When I say this is who I am and God says lay it down, we are going up against the knowledge of God. Who do we think we are? Why are we so doggone arrogant? Lord, forgive us. I mean, do we have the right to really challenge what God knows? Do you not believe he created you? He made you and he doesn't know who you are. And you, we have the right to challenge him with, God, why? Who? I don't want to take that off me. But this is who I've always been. This is just how I am. No, he's saying, but I didn't make you like that. Then it says bringing into captivity. That's make it a prisoner of war. Every thought. That means your purpose, your intellect, your perception, your disposition, and your intent of living after your own will. Bring that into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We bring the thoughts in, but we forget to lock the prison gate. We, oh, we brought it in, but then we let it out. How does it keep going in and out? No prisoner or warrior has the right to leave his captivity. We need to starve it, beat it, demolish it, and make it scared to come back up against us. Prisoners of war are broken down. They ain't trying to escape. No, they may try in the beginning. They may, I got to fight, I got to get out. They may be scratching the walls. After a while, they broken down. They just stay there. They even stop fighting. Why is our stuff keep fighting us still? That means we didn't do enough because we haven't employed God to break it down. We keep doing it within ourselves. And a part of it is because we like it. We don't really want to let it go. We think we're kind of smart. We think we figured some things out. I think God is okay with me being like this. I did let that go. And we just live on the what I let go, but not what I'm still holding. He's not happy. So just another version of that scripture. It says, uh, we fight with weapons, 
that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. We destroy people's arguments and every proud thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. We capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. This got to be the aim. We've got to stop giving ourselves a pat and letting us get away with a bunch of junk. We got to man up a little bit and stop it because God's not happy. And we've got to decide, are we really trying to make God happy? Or are we just trying to get by with as much as we can? So this is how we are to fight. Are you fighting like this? Are your weapons from God? Or are they carnal? What things do you need to make a prisoner of war? Make your list. Let's go capture them. And let's starve them and beat them and destroy them with violence. We too nice. We then got into this idea that Christianity is passive. And that's what, how it's messed us up. This is a war going on. Where's our fight? We just didn't lay it down. The good Lord and got up on the cross and took all that and we just, we just laying down. So we're going to move on to James 4, 1 through 10. And I'm going to use a few different translations here just to make it clear as I go throughout it. It says, uh, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it because there is a whole army of evil desires within you? You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have and can't afford it. So you start a fight to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So we up here praying, begging God because we see what everybody else got. We want what everybody else has. Not knowing the price they paid to get it or what they went through to have it. And he, I'm not giving you nothing because your motives are wrong. You don't want this to glory me. And then we fool ourselves and say, but if I had this, I, I, would, I would do some good for folks. <laughs> like we can fool the Jesus. Right. Mm. Verse 4 goes on to say, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. That's the message translation. Verse 4 again from the Living Bible. You are like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Mm. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies 
The evil pleasures of this world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. And if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasures of the unsaved world, you cannot also be a friend of God. Or what do you think the scripture means when it says that the Holy Spirit whom God has placed within us watches over us with tender jealousy? But he gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings. As the scripture says, God gives strength to the humble, but sets himself against the proud and the haughty. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. So give yourself completely to God. Stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. Come near to God and God will come near to you. You sinners, clean sin out of your lives. You who are trying to follow God and the world at the same time, make your thinking pure. Be sad, cry, and weep. Change your laughter into crying and your joy into sadness. Don't be too proud in the Lord's presence, and he will make you great. We don't ever want to really be sad. We don't want to really be that vulnerable and cry out and have to admit we are as foul as we are. We want God to see us as doing a good thing, as trying, as putting our best foot forward. And if you look at this, we couldn't really say it's our best foot that we put forward. We have put some feet forward, but it has not been our best and you can't expect God to be okay with you when you're not giving him his best. So we're going to move to Ephesians 4 and 30. And I'm going to read uh, four different translations again. If we don't accomplish this warfare, this is what we are at risk of doing. If we don't get serious and mourn and grieve and stop cheating on God, then this is the reality of our behavior. You don't just pay the consequences. God pays the consequences as well. Ephesians 4 and 30. And do not make the Holy Spirit sad. The Spirit is God's proof that you belong to him. God gave you the spirit to show that God will make you free when the final day comes. Different versions don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way you live. Remember, he is the one who marks you to be present on that day when salvation from sin will be complete. 
if we're fattening him, he's the one who's going to give us an account over there on, on the good side, which we're all trying to get to. We messing with the one who can say, you're here. We scream, we may be screaming, I'm here. And ain't nobody called your name. And do not make God's Holy Spirit sad. Sad. Because we get confused. We rather God be mad. We could deal with his anger. Like, oh, I'm going to get you. And we're used to people trying to get us. And we're okay with that to a degree. I'm more comfortable with you railing against me than you just being hurt by me. Because when you hurt someone and you see them cry and you see them weep by your actions, it brings forth a whole different feeling in you. When someone's angry, you feel you have the right to get angry back. So we kind of buff up against God when he comes at us. And that's what we would rather have, at least come get me. But to see somebody just sit there and broken and they tell you what you have done hurt me. You just broke my heart. That's a different kind of hurt. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. And we have to admit we've taken the spirit thing for granted. We've taken the salvation for granted. We ungrateful, selfish, arrogant children. Got a right to entitlement. We feel like we deserve it all. And he should stop asking all this from us. And we're a little offended that he keeps saying, give me more. It's like, why? Good night. I feel like I've, you know, been broken down. A part of me feels like I've given you everything. But he knows you. He knows what you're holding on to. He knows what you haven't released. And what we have to stay mindful of is every time we refuse to release, we're going up against the knowledge of God. We're saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. You're wrong, God. And I think I can keep this and come be with you for eternity. I'm just going to bust up in your house. <laughs> now we need to look in the mirror. Face yourself. Face God. Because he's standing there looking at you. And confess and repent. We have all made God sad at some point in time. And if truth be told. Far more times than we want to admit. And I'm going to end with a warning. And it's interesting how he always gives us what will happen if we don't simply do what he asks. Because he makes it pretty clear what he wants from us. And the thing is, is that what he's asking from us is strictly for our benefit. Like all the strongholds that we have 
have not truly benefited us. We're not better. We're not stronger. Our lives are not more together. Yet we have the chaos that we have. And he's saying, but freedom is what I want to give you. He's saying, rest is what I want to give you. Peace is what I want to give you. Yet why are we holding on to the very things that is not allowing us to live in these pleasures? Why have we allowed Satan to fool us so deeply? And why do we listen to him? I mean, he's good, but good night. The Holy Spirit is better. But why don't we believe that? I mean, are we really okay with the truth that we're a bunch of adulterers? Sleeping with the enemy. I mean, are we really okay with that? Or do we just close our eyes to the fact that Satan is laying in the bed with us and Jesus is sitting at the end of the bed watching? Why is that okay for us? Why doesn't that make our skin crawl? Why doesn't that break our hearts the way we're breaking God's heart? I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine walking in on your person with your arch enemy and then just sitting there having to watch and you keep going at it in front of him? We've got to be honest that this is what we're doing. Like just not having faith means you're cheating on God. You not trusting on God is you sleeping with Satan. Us holding on to our emotional baggage and, and being mad about this and not going free is us cheating on God. We can't keep saying that it's not a big deal. We can't keep giving ourselves a pass and saying, but at least I got this right. Well, I've been baptized. I speak in tongues. I ain't doing X, Y, and Z. It's not enough anymore. And I'm so frustrated just within myself and, and, and trying to get others to see that. What are we doing? Who are, I mean, we're fooling ourselves to think that God is smiling on us when he could. Everything in him wants to smile. Everything in him wants to be at peace with us. He didn't do this death thing. He didn't die on the cross for him to be our enemy. We make God the enemy because we refuse to simply give up some stuff. And the crazy thing is, is that he's supplying the warfare. He's the one taking it. All he's asking us to do is pick the doggone thing up and shoot it. And I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to erase it from you. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Why do we choose to be burdened? So the warning, Isaiah 63, 9 and 10. And in 9, uh, see the beauty and the compassion and the love of this verse. But what we have to be 
aware of is verse 10. It says, in all their distress, he too was distressed. Other versions said, in all of their troubles, he too was troubled. In all of their afflictions, he too was afflicted. And in all of their sufferings, he too suffered. And the angel of his presence saved them. God is afflicted when we are afflicted. We are making him suffer what he already died for. He already felt that. And like that scripture says that we open up the wounds afresh. We do that daily. But we don't want that image in our head. We don't want to see us crucifying the God we say we love. But I have the ability to whip him the way they whipped him. I have the ability to put the thorns on his head when I refuse to give him control. Is it worth that? And I think what we have to ask ourselves, do we really love him? Because maybe we don't love them. Because you couldn't do that to anybody else. You wouldn't put your husband, your child, your brother, and just keep inflicting the same wound. We would never do that to somebody we love. I would never hurt anybody like that. But I can do that to God and think that he's supposed to then do all this for me. Bless me, take care of me, make me well, save my family, do all this stuff. What am I giving him? It's very, very cruel, the relationship we've built with God. We're very, very cruel. And we don't want to see ourselves as cruel But what we've done to Christ, (laughs) breaks my heart. (sighs) In verse 9, the other part says, in his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And he keeps lifting us up. He keeps redeeming us. He keeps giving us new grace and new mercy. Without a second thought, he gives it to us. Without withholding any portion back, we get full grace and full mercy every day. Even though yesterday I put him back on the cross and beat him. And he says, I have to give you this new grace and mercy because that's how much I love you. I'm not going to leave you to yourself. But verse 10, it says, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. 
I've done all this for you, yet you rebel and you make me sad. So he turned and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. Do we want God to fight against him? Do we want God to come at us like that? I mean, we're resting in the mercy and the grace. And yes, the different dispensation. But come on. He's still the same God. And he said that he's not going to strive with us always. We want to keep rebelling and keep running away from him and keep breaking his heart. And we're supposed, he's supposed to just say, okay. So I want to close, and I'm, I'm finished, uh, with a collective prayer. And this just prayer came to me after I finished this. And uh, you guys can pray with me if, if you can. I don't want you to say nothing that ain't true. Because uh, I want you to be authentic in, in whatever you say to God. But this is what was from my heart. And uh, it says, Lord, I beg you now not to fight against us. Because we cannot stand up against your fighting. Please forgive us. And show us the way. We have rebelled. But we, today, we stand together and ask you to tear down our strongholds and bring them into captivity. Put the mirror up one more time and we will face ourselves. We will confess our sins and we will turn towards you. Help us, Jesus. We are sorry we made you sad. And we acknowledge that we made you cry. You didn't deserve that pain after all you've done. Your last tears should have been on the cross. I should have never made the one who loves me so good cry. Forgive us. And I want you guys just to stay there for a moment. And if anyone has anything they need to confess, to be healed, feel free. We are here to get right with God. Nothing else. <laughs>